the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many women over age 50 today are redefining what it means to be alive. According to today's guest, Sue Brightman, it's not about aging. It's about becoming more of who we really are and doing what we're called to do. For her book, A Call to Further Becoming, The New Declaration for Women Over 50, Sue interviewed 100 women age 50 plus to learn their perspective on this exciting time. She joins us today to talk about how women are growing mentally, professionally, and spiritually. Sue is the founder and president of Women on the Journey of Their Lives, a coaching and women's workshop and retreat enterprise that supports women over 50. Welcome, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us. I am delighted to be here with you, Joan. So, Sue, after working for 30 years as a business coach, what made you begin supporting women over age 50? What got you interested in this topic? Yes, uh, that's easy. And it's that I myself was in this place where I could not figure out, Joan, what was happening to me and within me. I had reached my late 50s. I had, as you mentioned, this wonderful career that I absolutely loved and I could feel that it was coming to a natural completion. And I have to say that I was standing in this place of wondering, what now? I could feel that I was so not done. Uh, There was so much I wanted to learn, so much I wanted to apply from what I already knew and had experienced. And yet, the cultural narrative that I didn't realize was so entrenched until I got there, the cultural narrative really had been communicating to me for decades that what happens at this stage of life, entering one's 60s, is what? Decline, going gray, going away, disappearing, disengaging. And I knew that that was not right for me and that wasn't who I was. And so as that 30-year wonderful career came to a natural completion, I realized there was something I needed to learn for myself about what's possible at this age and stage. And I took a big leap into finding out what that was. Your work resonates with me because it is the story of my life. As my listeners know, I began this work in middle age after being a stay-at-home mom to my two sons and being married for 21 plus years at the time. And I had that moment where I said, what now, you know, what can I do? I had given away so much of myself that I didn't even know what I was capable of achieving. And that's where the work that I'm doing now, it started in middle age. I was a little younger than 50, but I was right there. And and, and now I am living everything you teach and, and talk about. You're living it, Joan. You're modeling it with the work that you're doing and with the lifting up of voices that are needing to be heard and that are going on and, um, and exploring and expanding in new ways. So that place that you got to that I heard you just describe is, um, is what I call the wilderness period. And it is true. There is this universal experience that we have that 
we reach this place of unknowing, this place where it is disorienting, that we think that it's possible that we're going to lose our identity, that we really can't imagine what's next. And frankly, in that place of wilderness, it's, it's frightening. So I can imagine that that's where you were, and I can tell you that's where I was as well. And it's a common experience that fortunately doesn't just end there in the wilderness. Well, and what you had described earlier when you, you were saying the way we viewed getting older, it was getting gray and getting ready for retirement. And basically, we used to say being put out to pasture. And when we're younger, we look at our future with excitement. Everything is new and there are so many possibilities for us. Well, I'm excited now because at my age, in my 50s, I look at my future as new and exciting and having so many possibilities. And I don't intend to retire or get put out to pasture. I think the word retirement, we need to retire. Right. Because that word, right, that word does not resonate for so many women and probably men as well. But frankly, I think what's going on with women is different. Um, two, two things that I discovered and that just absolutely light me up, and I know they do you in your work as well. One is that I really believe that we are at a time of an evolutionary leap with what's happening to and with women. You know, Lynn Twist talks about this a lot, that we have entered what she calls the Sophia century, that we've just started a century where women are going to come into co-equal partnership with men, that we are going to be leading in ways that are different from the patriarchal systems that have been established in the past, and that feminine leadership is going to take co-equal partnership with what we've been used to for so long. So one thing is, I believe women like yourself and like me and many of your listeners, millions of women in the world are feeling in their bones that we are at a place of an evolutionary shift where womanhood and feminine leadership and living and being in new ways, particularly those of us who have the wisdom and the experience of 50-plus years, we're really coming into this time of being not only being able to expand, Joan, but the world needing us to expand and share and manifest what it is that we know and who we are. The second major point is one that I... Frankly, I stumbled across this when I was sitting in my own wilderness period wondering what's next, what's next if where I've been is not where I'm going to continue being and and doing, what's next? And I, I started reading everything I could get my hands on. I'm sure you know how that is. And I came across the work of Mary Catherine Bateson, and Bateson is She passed away last year, um, unfortunately. She's the daughter of Margaret Mead. um, And she said that for the first time in human history, she, by the way, is a cultural anthropologist. She said for the first time in human history, because of how long our life cycles are now, that we have a whole new stage of life, that we don't go from childhood to adolescence to adulthood to elderhood but we go from adulthood one to adulthood two, and then elderhood. And she said that those of us who are in that stage, 50 to 70 plus, are pioneering what it means. And I have to say, Joan, when I read that word pioneering, I thought, bingo. That's why I feel disoriented. That's why I look around and I don't necessarily have new models of what's possible at this age and stage because I'm one of the ones pioneering it. And so that takes a little bit of the mystery and the disorientation away from what we're experiencing because we can realize it's not personal. This is a whole collective happening and we're part of it and frankly, we're leading it. So what do you think has led to this shift? Why do we have this freedom now? Well, it's interesting that You know, those of us who are 50 plus, um, we have come, first of all, through 
the, the, the years of feminism, right? So we came through the years of Gloria Steinem and messages about you can do it all. And, and then we bumped into a lot of realities, uh, the glass ceiling, the difficulty in actually being the primary parent raising and supporting family and community and church and neighbors plus working. We discovered not only the realities of those difficulties and the fact that we can't do it all in the way that we were supposedly promised, but also that the organizations and the systems around us that we're living within didn't allow it. So women who were really um, poised to, let's say, work their way up a corporate ladder. That's one of many, many examples. But it's not as if the systems and our culture have really welcomed and provided the same kind of access to women that has always been provided to men. And so here we are, having lived the experience of knowing and bumping up against the walls and the ceilings and the doors, right, that really have not opened to us. And we are at a point now with our experience and our um, historical perspective of saying, and this is a chapter in my book, I'm done with that. I'm done with letting that define what's possible for me. I'm done with anyone else allowing, disallowing, giving permission or not for me to do what it is I really want to do. So I think, Joan, we have come through a very unique historical experience with the feminist movement. I think we have bumped right into what is and isn't working in the systems out there, the general systems. And I think we're also very much um, alive and passionate about saying, I'm not letting anything or anyone else define now what it is that I want um, we are. We really have a sense of sovereignty, and a sense of I'm so not done, and I'm going to take some leaps forward now in doing what it is that's mine to do. I liked when you described us as pioneers. I I felt that when you used that word. And as pioneers who are forging the way, one of the things that I think we have to learn how to do as women, and many of us have a difficult time asking for this, but I think we have to learn how to ask for help and not believe we can do it all on our own. What what do you think about that? I want to say a big amen. (laughs) (laughs) Amen and amen. That somehow there's been this messaging from within ourselves and perhaps externally as well that we're supposed to do it all ourselves. And of course, that's not possible. The whole notion of what I call a village, you know, the village that I find young women, women over 50, all of us, we long for villages, we long for circles, we long for communities where we can lean in and get the support for ourselves and also for some of the things that we're needing to do on behalf of our families, for example. And so that, that is one of the, I think it's an internal bias and an external message that we are better, stronger if we do it alone. And one of the things we're waking up to as women on the cusp of this evolutionary shift, and I'm going to say, Joan, that I believe this is true for women of all ages. I'm seeing it everywhere with women in their 30s and 40s, as well as 50s and beyond. And that is, we know that we need sisterhoods, we need circles, we need communities of women where we can lean in and talk about what really matters to us and get support. I'm also seeing that those kind of forums, I'll call them forums, they're, they're springing up. They're springing up. And so, you know, you are an example of, you know, giving women as well as men a place where their voices can be heard and they lean into you for support, right? That's one of, right. one of the things that you offer. 
And there are many other organizations. Emerging Women is one. The organization called Chief is another. The SOFIA program. The list goes on because, to your point, we are not only realizing, but we're taking a stand for ourselves that we want these places to go where we can lean in, and we're going to create them if we can't find them. So we, as women, many of us spend so much time taking care of other people. It's just who we are. And so now we have this new phase of adulthood, adulthood two, where we can really, the sky's the limit, we can do anything we want to do, but now we have no idea what that is. So how do we go about figuring out our next step, what it is we want to be when we grow up? (laughs) Right, right. I call that the big what now. Right. Uh, When I interviewed 100 women, and all of them, I would say, have come through a wilderness period in some way, like you and I have, where that question was up, not being able to see uh, what's next, knowing that where we've been is not where we want to continue. So this, this wilderness of how, how, do I, how do I navigate this, and is there really anything that can be as full and satisfying as where I've been before? That question was really one that frightened me. And Joan, I found that there were three main, I guess I'm going to call them paths. There were three ways that uh, the women who I interviewed ended up working through the wilderness period for themselves. One of them is what I call birthing the new with threads from the old. And what that really means is that when we've had a career, when we've had, or not even necessarily a career, but we've spent years, decades, doing and, and, and investing in certain activities that can include caring for our families and being active in the community, that we can look back and do an assessment. Sometimes it really helps to have a coach for this, to say, what are the pieces of that that I'm done with? They feel complete to me that are no longer a learning edge, that are no longer exciting. And what are the pieces that I love that I might want to take forward? My own life is an example. When I interviewed women and wrote a book, and now I get to work with women as a coach, but it's a very different orientation than working with corporations. So I call that birthing the new with threads from the old. Um, A second one is what I call freedom and experimentation. And that really speaks for itself. But a lot of times there are things that have been just kind of bubbling up within us that we've always been attracted to and we keep putting them over to the side. You know, geez, if I had time, I'd really love to do that. Um, Or I'd really like to experiment, not necessarily, I don't know, launch a whole new career, but I'd like to give myself the freedom to experiment with this, to test it out, to take a course, to go back to school, to do whatever. And that's a second way that I found that women have just delighted in the wilderness period, being able to say, I'm going to allow myself the freedom to experiment. You know, there's a woman who had always wanted to teach English as a second language, and she found out about the need in China. And she was in her mid-60s, Joan. But that lit her up, and she literally went to China for a few years and taught English as a second language. I mean, talk about experimenting, right? And she loved it, a wonderful example of giving ourselves permission. And, of course, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as going to China. It can be something much simpler, um, doing the artwork one has always wanted to do and creating an art studio in the basement. Um, A third is what I call continuing the same from a new place. And this is sort of a beginner's mindset um, way of reframing. So there are women who still like what they're doing and would like to continue, but it's gotten a bit stale. And there's a sense of wanting to breathe new life into the work that they're doing. Uh, A director of a highly acclaimed, two highly acclaimed choruses in my book is one example. And she decided in sort of a zen-like way 
that she needed to adopt a beginner's mind about her work. And so she started to um, take music cello lessons, and she started yoga, which she had never done before. And she did some things that sounded like they weren't connected. She hired a financial coach to look differently at her finances. She just opened herself up to more of a childlike beginner's mind approach to everything and ended up infusing the directing of her two choruses with this kind of renewed, renewed spirit. And she said it made all the difference in how their voices sounded because of the way she directed them. So those are three ways that women can kind of, I don't know, pick up the idea of how, how to possibly work forward. So did any of the women that you interviewed encounter resistance from people closest to them? Yeah, the answer is yes. Um, in fact, when I mentioned a little bit earlier, this, this sort of rising up within us at a certain point of what I call done with that, a done with that energy, not, not a militant or a sense of bravado or anything like that, but more the clarity that I heard from many women I interviewed, the clarity of what's not right for me to do any longer in that way. I did find that women noticed that relationships shifted. So what I found as relates to relationships, I found that women who were coming into more, not only clarity about what they want, that this is a stand now about who I am and how I want to be and how I want to live. There's a being and the doing, right? That relationships in many cases either needed to shift with or they disengaged. One of the seven things I found that women are done with, and I name them in my book, that was one of the most fun discoveries that I had, by the way, but one of them is what I call exothermic versus endothermic relationships. So endothermic relationships are relationships that suck energy from us or leave us feeling empty. And an example was that I heard women say, I'm not willing any longer to be in a relationship where I'm doing all the work. And so if the relationship is endothermic, sucking energy or or not providing sort of a co-equal partnership with energy um, that makes both people better. I found women are women saying, and I can relate to this myself, you know, I'm I'm done with those kind of friendships. I mean, what I want are exothermic relationships, the ones that make us larger, where we come in with the same energy, with the same desire to benefit and bless each other. And we, we play different but equal parts, which can be a friendship, a marriage, a partnership of any kind. But there is that sense that as we come into our sovereignty, right, it does mean that those around us can feel and see the difference. And there's some shifting that needs to happen, which might also mean some separation from The book is A Call to Further Becoming, The New Declaration from Women Over 50. If you would like to get more information about Sue and her work, you can visit suebrightman.com. Sue, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is women over 50 are at a totally new point of evolution. This is a time for us to fully come into all that we are all that we want to be, and all that we want to do. The world absolutely needs us. Sue, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com.
an invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. That's CYACYL.com slash media training. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss how to stop being stuck. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, thank you so much for having me today. Allison, I hear so many people telling me that there are things they want to do or goals they want to achieve, but they just feel like they're so stuck and they can't move forward. What happens when we need life to be a certain way? Well, that's a great question. I mean, the minute we need life to be a certain way, we're going to suffer because life is always going to be uncertain. And a lot of us, we look for certainty because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel secure. But the problem with that is that we can't predict what's going to happen in life. So the minute something uncertain happens, like the pandemic or a job loss or a child has a problem, we fall apart because we believe that that certainty is not there for us and therefore life's not working out. And we forget is that life can work out many different ways. And this need for certainty makes us feel stuck. And the minute we feel stuck, we don't move forward. We don't look for expansion. We don't come up with new ideas. We don't live our best life because we're just clinging to the past and we're just clinging to the way we thought life would be. And what's so fascinating is usually life is inviting us. It's singing to us to do something new, do something different. Sometimes we have an opportunity and a possibility and we can't even see it because we're so looking for the way we thought life would happen. You know, we look for certainty instead of possibility. And I so understand why we do this because deep down we just want to be okay but what we fail to see is that our okayness is when we're open our okayness is when we look at life and we say what is life offering me right now instead of demanding it has to be a certain way we open and we expand and we allow life to happen in front of us and we avail ourselves to so much more that is possible and sometimes we're really not stuck It's just we're holding on to something that no longer is. And when we allow ourselves to put that down, we open up to all that can be. I know in my life, most of the pain that I've experienced was because of all of the woulda, coulda, shouldas that I really believed, you know, the way things were supposed to be. And when you hold on to that mentality, it really does cause so much unnecessary pain. And, And I learned that I had to release those expectations. So What have you done and what do you teach to help release those expectations so that we can move forward? Well, well, the first thing is to create awareness, which which is a it's a big ask, right? Because we have these limiting beliefs that we feel are real. We feel the reality. But once we start to feel that tightness, that stuckness, we have to remember what that feeling is, that pain, that fear and create this awareness. And we have to start asking ourselves, you know, am I holding on to the past? Am I clinging on to something that no longer exists? That's the thing, too. Sometimes we're just going this cycle in our head. We want things to be a certain way, but they're not that way. And, you know, there's a level of acceptance that we have. But I don't mean acceptance with resignation because sometimes they're like, okay, I'll just accept the things the way they are and not move forward with my life. It's almost like I consent to receive this situation the way it is. And I am so open to all that's possible. So it's a constant asking ourselves. How am I feeling? Am I feeling uptight? 
Am I feeling pain? What is life telling me in this moment? Because if we can do that, if we could let go and not grab and not cling and not look for safety, we are going to be so open to the life that is waiting for us. And usually we are the ones that are limiting our lives. So this is a tough one because it's hard to let go of the past, but there's so much waiting for us if we're willing to be open to what life is offering us in the moment. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Allison and her work, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. Or as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Life is messy. There's no doubt about it. But according to today's guest, Cy Wakeman, being happy is not about cleaning up the mess around you. It's about learning how to move through obstacles more skillfully. She's here today to talk about how to change the level of contentment you feel in your life by learning to disconnect happiness from external forces. Cy is an international leadership speaker, consultant, and founder of Reality-Based Leadership. Her new book is Life's Messy, Live Happy. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be content. Welcome, Cy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited about our conversation. So, Cy, things don't have to be perfect. That is such great advice for so many of us. We strive for perfection, and when things don't go as planned, we can really unravel. Do you believe that perfection is a myth? Absolutely a myth. And it's just unattainable. And so we're like chronically disappointing ourselves in ourselves and in others when we set that as a goal. And worse, we defer happiness. And unless we reflect on this, you know, what we do a lot is I'll be happy when this is a better situation. I'll be happy when I retire or when my job is different. Or we spend so much of our time and energy trying to get the world in a state of perfection. And ah, then we can be happy. But unfortunately, we might find we've deferred our happiness so long that we've lost such valuable time. And the reality is you could be happy right now if you just realize that life is going to be always, you know, messy and that the goal isn't perfection, but a goal can be knowing how to move through the mess, as you said, skillfully. Yeah, you know, I am guilty of being this person for many years. I mean, for most of my life, I wanted everything to be so neat and tidy the way it was supposed to be. And it really took a major upheaval in my life for me to understand that things don't work out as they're quote unquote supposed to be and that you need to accept all of these changes in order to learn from them and move forward. And we need to, um, you know, not be chronically surprised when they come. I think our expectations, if we can remove from our life living with expectations and instead live with great expectancy that we just expect life will be full of wonderful surprises and we'll end up where we need to end up and we'll be good. But it's the expectations that get us externally focused, trying to keep all the plates spinning, trying to keep all the people happy, performing, and really abandoning ourselves so that we're not abandoned by others. And when you do all this performing, you start to wonder, do people even like me for who I am? Because they don't even really know me. They just know you know, this perfect little view I've presented to the world, and we start feeling really lonely because it's hard to um, connect with people when you aren't being honest about the many messy areas in your life. That's really where we connect with human beings. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned over the years from doing this work is that happiness is an inside job because, you know, I've met people who have stories that they would have every reason in the world to be miserable and to be unhappy. And yet they find joy despite their circumstances. And then you meet other people who have every reason to be happy and yet they're miserable. And so I, I agree with you know what you're saying. It is an inside job. We have to find it from within ourselves. Absolutely true. So many of us outsource our well-being. We wake up in the morning and we go, how do I feel? Let me check the news. Oh, I feel unhappy. Instead of let me check myself. I'm happy. I believe the universe is kind. Now let me check the news. What can I do to help? It's very, very different. And it's proof that 
if it wasn't external circumstances, then people who had better lives would be happier and people who didn't would be less happy. And it just does not play play out that way. Um, and it's also not about like toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing, just I'm going to ignore the mess and, and pretend to be happy. It is truly finding some radical acceptance for some days are like that and having um, skills that you can um, maintain kind of a spirit of contentment um, in the mess. Life happens in the mess. I used to, even when I did my inner work, I used to go, okay, I'm going to not be in a relationship for a long time and I'm going to do all my inner work and I'm going to get myself great and I'm going to go out and have a relationship and we won't have any issues. And that just never worked out that well. I couldn't go out in life and pass the test, no matter how hard I prepared. Because part of going out in the mess is willing to be vulnerable and just saying, you know, when two or more people are brought together, we will have some messiness to hold space for and to be curious about. And so instead of trying to get your life perfect, what if you cultivated curiosity and walked with curiosity? That's more helpful in the mess than, you know, um, trying to prepare so that when the mess happens, you'll be perfect. Like it's really shaping yourself so that you're more capable of being in the mess but unaffected by the mess. It all comes down to the way you choose to see it. I mean, I, I totally believe that this is a choice. And I love when you say there are two ways to go through each day, joy or misery. And at each experience, we need to make the choice. We have the power to make that choice. We really do. And I want to be really clear that um, the choice is about how long we suffer. Pain is inevitable. We will have losses. We will have injury. We will have insult. We will have disappointment. Um, But pain is momentary. The suffering part is more about the story we create and how long we hold on to the pain. And that's where the choice, um, the choice is, you know, it's, it's, um, Something can happen in your day. Let's say someone walks by me on the street and says something that I think most people would find um, kind of mean. That took one minute out of my day. And it was, it was you know, painful um, as I received it. Now, I have a choice of what I'm going to do with the next four hours of my day. Am I going to think about it consistently and question myself? And am I going to talk about it and tell other people about it? Like that person maybe took a minute for me, but I'm the one that gave them the next four hours. And then I can even limit my pain. When someone says something that I could find insulting, I can say my choice is they can call me that, that I can decide whether that was meant for me. I can decide whether I received that. And once you get to that life, you start to really see where so much of the suffering you think you're enduring, you were self-creating. Right. And it goes back to, like you said before, having expectations for the way things are supposed to be. You know, that person wasn't supposed to say something mean or this wasn't supposed to happen. And we get caught up in that. Absolutely. A lot of us don't experience reality as it really is. We experience reality as the gap from how we wanted it to be. And we mourn the gap when, you know, the reality just is never as harsh as we imagine it. And there are techniques that you can learn to move through life more skillfully. And one of the techniques I teach a lot is just stop believing everything you think. Question your own story. Question your own thinking. Edit edit your story. You know, um, let's say I'm standing in line at the DMV to renew my license. And when I finally get the counter the gentleman says we're closing for the day here's the time you could come back and we could help you all that's really happened is he's let me know when i can return to get my license renewed that's it my ego makes it into this person's trying to ruin my entire life and they are out to get me and this is absolutely ridiculous and i'm underserved throughout the government system well now all of a sudden i'm downtrodden and live in the repressive system or I could just come back tomorrow when he told me to get my license renewed. That suffering part is optional. There's a little pain in having to come back. Not my favorite. But the suffering we add to that is mind-boggling at times when we take what happens and we add a story to it. And I find this with people at work all the time. I work a lot in healthcare. And I'll go onto a unit and I'll say, hey, how, how are you doing? They're like, oh, my gosh, it's crazy. It's just it's ridiculous. It's horrible. It's, and like, no, really, 
I see you're busy and you're staffed for that level of busyness. So you're busy. And it's like, no, it's crazy. And I'm like, well, how did it go from busy to crazy? And people inevitably will say, like, I added that part. And I'm like, well, is it helpful? Be very careful to what you add to your reality every single day, because that's the part that chips away at your natural state of happiness. So we're almost out of time, but very quickly, can you give us a daily practice that you recommend that can help us stay happy and positive? Oh, there's so many in the book, but absolutely. One of my favorites has to do with gratitude. And a lot of us know how to practice gratitude by naming the things we're grateful for. So we're good at counting blessings. I encourage you in the book to count everything as a blessing, and that takes more work. So there's two lists, everything that happens in my life today and the list of the things I'm grateful for. And I look at the gap. What happens that I'm not yet willing to put on my gratitude list? That's where my growth is. Is something in my life I'm rejecting that I should be receiving that's here to teach me? Is there something in my life that I don't have good perspective on? I think it's disastrous. But 10 years from now, I'll probably see that it was in my favor. Like helping you take what happened in your day and become grateful for it, live with gratitude for all of it, is one of the key practices that I put in the book that I think will be helpful. The book is Life's Messy, Live Happy. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be content. If you'd like to get more information about Sai and her work, you can visit realitybasedleadership.com. Sai, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Is your organization struggling with virtual team engagement? Do you know how to best help your employees leverage their natural abilities, whether they work on location or remote? Communication is the key. However, many businesses are challenged by lack of communication. Knowing your employee's preferred behavioral style helps to ensure the message is received as intended and creates a positive organizational culture. This can be accomplished with the use of behavioral assessments. These assessments are not like tests with a right or wrong answer. Rather, they are surveys or questionnaires frequently administered online to help understand motivations, explain behavioral preferences, communication styles, skills, and emotional intelligence. There are no shortcuts or ways to cheat as can be done on a test. They offer deeper insight into your organization's most precious assets, your people. There are tools available in the marketplace that give a glimpse into the how, what, and why a person does what they do, removing blind spots for themselves and others, a path to revealing potential. If you would like to experience a complimentary assessment, reach out to me, Bertha Robinson at 732-705-5060 or visit my website at star1professional.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. That's CYACYL.com slash media training. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Emanuela Fasoni, a certified health and life coach who has helped people experience breakthroughs in their health and lives. She's the author of the book, Healing Through Nature's Medicine. Emanuela is here today to discuss the importance of sleep. Welcome, Emanuela. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Emanuela, many people today do not get enough sleep, which can wreak havoc on our health. What do you believe causes the sleep issues we experience? Well, Joan, you are completely right. 
sleep is the number one non-negotiable when I'm working with someone. Because if you're not sleeping, then you're not pooping and your blood sugar isn't stable. So the main criteria for um, not really getting the proper sleep is immune, neurological, and hormonal dysfunctions that are going on in your system. So it helps to really balance the microbial diversity in the gastrointestinal tract. How do those areas play into this? Basically, if you're not getting the optimal amount of sleep that you should be getting that is ideal for the body, you may find yourself with symptoms of dysfunctional challenges as far as uh, detoxification challenges, constipation, impaired immune function, hunger, moodiness, and a lot more. And also, sleep issues can even induce addictive behaviors because without the proper rest, we're likely to look for substances to keep us energized. So you mentioned getting the optimal amount of sleep. What is that? How many hours should we be getting per night? It's really great if somebody can get between seven to eight hours of sleep. And ideally, falling asleep by 10 o'clock at night is the ideal um, time for us to really fall asleep for our circadian rhythm in our body. I've been paying a lot more attention to this since I'm, I'm learning so much about the relationship between sleep and health. And I'm the type of person who really does need seven to eight solid hours. It recently, I think I was getting like maybe five or six because I was working on a major project. And I noticed that I really didn't feel well. I started to feel like something was coming on. I was tired. My throat was scratchy. And so, you know, if you start to pay attention to your body, you can really notice the trends based on your sleep habits. Without a doubt, because what happens when you're not sleeping right, your liver starts to not detoxify the right way. And then that can lead into sleeping issues, uh, having a hard time falling asleep and also insomnia. And it's really crazy that a lot of the physicians, physicians these days, they don't actually, they basically neglect to identify sleep problems not only to, to really be a preclude to treatment and even to diagnose and also to prevent certain health challenges that are coming up in people's lives. So what you just described is an interesting cycle. When we don't get enough sleep, what starts to happen then is our body keeps us from getting enough sleep. So there's a vicious cycle there. Yes, absolutely. There's a myriad of different factors that could impact your ability to fall asleep at night and stay to stay asleep for enough hours to reap the benefits. When you go to the doctors, unfortunately, the physicians are not really making sleep one of the primary factors that they look at when someone's having a health challenge, which is really, it's unfortunate because a lot of people will go into different health challenges when that's neglected. And then you see a lot of doctors giving out melatonin which melatonin is not most likely the deficiency that they're going through. It's usually your liver is not detoxifying the right way. That is what leads to liver congestion. It makes it tough to sleep when your liver is not detoxifying the right way. And that can lead into increased heat, increased histamine, and also it causes the nervous system to become hyper. What are a few of the major things you recommend we do to promote sleep? Well, first off, it's definitely getting about 20 minutes of sunlight each day. Go to bed and wake up at the same time because our, our body loves stability. It loves going to bed at the same time and going and waking up at the same time. Make your bedroom a media-free zone, shutting off any electronics before you go to bed make your bedroom into something like a spa, a very relaxing environment and creating the environment to be nice, dark, cool, and quiet. And really a a great tip is also to take an Epsom salt bath mixed with baking soda. The Epsom salt is rich in minerals like magnesium and the baking soda alkalinizes your body So it absorbs the baking soda into the body better. Um, I also do recommend journaling your worries and doing a brain dump before you go to bed. 
as well as avoiding any caffeine or alcohol after 2 p.m. And uh, eating your last meal no later than two hours before you're going to go to bed. And one extra tip that I would love to throw in there is a drink that I love to have before I go to bed. And it helps to support the liver naturally before bedtime. And that's a half of a teaspoon of organic turmeric powder mixed with a half a teaspoon of ginger powder and also some mint leaves. And that will definitely help you sleep better. Manuela, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Manuela and her work, you can visit embodyvitality.net. Or as always, to hear more from Emanuela, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Emanuela. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. So how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life book club, created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. In a moment, cancer changed our lives forever. At this moment, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything, ever. At this moment, she wants to be in her own bed. I want to be back at school with my friends. I want to be outside playing. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.